Welcome to Pioneering Today with me, Melissa K. Norris, where I inspire your faith and your pioneer roots. I show you how to grow your own food, heirloom gardening, how to preserve your food at home, and modern homesteading. Tune in every other Friday as I share proven strategies that anyone can do to live the pioneer lifestyle. Make sure to head over to melissaknorris.com and subscribe to receive free Pioneering Today articles and updates. Welcome to another edition of the Pioneering Today podcast. I'm excited to talk to you guys today about fall canning. Um, So we're going to go over six different fall canning recipes um, using fall harvest and produce items and crops um, to increase your food storage. Um, Fall right now is unusually warm where I live. Um, We actually had an 80 degree day yesterday, which is like unheard of in the Pacific Northwest for the beginning of October. Um, It is just crazy. It's been one of the warmest falls that we've ever had. So on one hand, that's been really good because normally um, my tomatoes are just green as green can be if they haven't succumbed to blight by this time of year. Um, But this year we have had hot days and warm days and not very much rain. Uh, We actually were under burn ban and just until last week we had like two days of rain and then it cleared off and it's really warm again. So it's been a fabulous year for our tomatoes, um, which I am really happy about. We actually put up an off-grid greenhouse. We repurposed, um, you know, those storage sheds that you can get. Um, I think we got it at Costco and it's a metal frame and then it just has like those canvas tarp, um, ceilings over it, um, just the roof part. Well, we had bought one of those about six or seven years ago um, for our boat because we don't have a garage to store it in. And over the, you know, over a few couple seasons, the canvas eventually rotted um, and just kind of shredded and disintegrated and fell apart. But we were left with this really nice metal frame. And so I didn't want to just throw it away. And so we decided we um, ordered some of the greenhouse um, plastic and we decided we were going to try and put up our own greenhouse beans we already had the framework and so we did that this year we did it this spring we put that up and I did my tomatoes and peppers in there and this has been the first year I have had tomato crops without blight Um, I've just been so excited and thrilled Um, I had about 18 tomato plants that we put out there. And so as you can imagine, I have a plethora of tomatoes coming on, still coming on strong and peppers. In fact, yesterday I made um, some chili in the slow cooker and it was so nice um, to just be able to go out and pick the fresh peppers um, from the greenhouse and the tomatoes and stuff that I was going to put in. Uh, There's just something awesome about growing your own food and you can just go grocery shopping for what you need to cook for dinner just right in your own backyard. Uh, So that's been fabulous. So this fall, um, I am doing a lot of putting up of tomatoes. Now, where you live, um, you know, if your seasons and stuff, of course, are different than mine, um, you know, your tomatoes, because I know some places in the country are already getting their first snows, which is just um, crazy to me. (laughs) So if that's you, um, some of these might... Um, not apply. You might not still be able to harvest your tomatoes. Um, But I actually was reading a a fabulous fun post. It was um, over at theprairiehomestead.com and I'll link to that. Um, And she had gotten early, an early snow in 
but she had a ton of green tomatoes. And so she um, shared the different ways that she did to ripen her green tomatoes and to save them from the frost and the snow. Um, And I thought that was really um, an interesting article. So I will link to that in the show notes. And anything that I talk about in the show notes, you guys can always find at melissaknorris.com. Click on the podcast button and then all of the episodes are listed. And so you can just click on those and then you will find links and the show notes um, to everything that I'm referencing. So the recipes, um, articles, and that kind of a thing is all there for you um, to grab. So um, welcome to any of the new listeners. Um, we had our biggest downloaded episode ever and that was... Um, depression era tips to building your food pantry up, um, frugal tips and recipes. And you guys let me know loud and clear that you loved the depression era um, type podcasts and articles that we've been doing. And so I have more in the works. I actually um, have to go interview some more family members um, to share some new tips and stories that lived through the depression era times. So rest assured, if you join the podcast because of those, there will be more of those episodes coming. So I want to talk about today, of course, um, you know, putting up food um, all year long and through the fall as it comes in season, especially for the winter months, is definitely a depression era um, practice as well, actually. So um, knowing how to can and preserve your own food is something that I think is very important. Uh, We do a lot of that here um, on our homestead and in our home. And my um, grandparents who went through the Great Depression, um, if you want to hear more about that, then just go um, onto the podcast page at listkanors.com. And there's two Depression Era um, podcasts and articles that you can read and listen to there. Um, but certainly putting up their own food um, was what they did, especially during the leanest years. And the only food that they had to eat sometimes was what they had put up. They couldn't go and get food at the store. They didn't have the money to buy it. And so that's always kind of been something um, that I was raised with that stuck with my dad and that he passed down to us. And so putting up food in the fall is something that's very much part of our fall um, way of life. And so the first, the thing that we are putting up right now, actually just finished up is um, canning fresh shelled beans. So this is different than green beans. My, our green beans have been um, gone for about a month now, um, So that's no longer a harvesting item for us. That's more of a summer harvest. But we call them an October bean. And that's because generally speaking, they're usually ripe in October. But because we had such a warm season this year, they were ripe actually in September. And so um, they're an heirloom bean that has been passed down in my family. I'm, you know, I say about near as I can tell 100 years. I'm sure it's went back much further than that. Um, you know, my grandparents had them, passed them down to my dad. He's passed them on to us. Um, and we've just seed saved those every year and planted them. So they're um, a pole bean. And the reason I really like pole beans is I've, I did a bush variety this year and a pole bean. And I get way more beans from the pole beans. They just seem to be more prolific. The crop is larger and they seem to produce longer. So I, um, you know, the pole beans, of course, you have to put up a structure for them to climb, but I just find overall that they're much worth the effort of putting up something for them to climb um, for the overall return on the bean. So I do prefer pole beans. And so the October bean is a shelled bean. So when it first grows, um, it just looks like a a green bean. And then it, it gets really big though. They get like six about six inches long, sometimes a little bit longer, and they're really fat, and they develop inside. Um, The pot of the bean um, is quite large. It's 
the bean, as it ripens, it goes from green and then it gets like these scarlet stripes down it. So I'm assuming that it's related to like the scarlet runner bean um, or a cranberry bean. Um, but I don't know, you know, I'm sure it's related to that um, type of bean family. So that's going to give you a reference when I'm talking about October beans, what those are like. And so as they ripen, um, inside you get a really large pod. And so I don't use them as a green bean at all. We just wait until they get large and are fully developed and mature. And then we shell them out. And so the bean itself, when you shell it out, when it's ripe and it's mature is white. And then it has these cranberry burgundy colored streaks through it. it. They're actually really pretty. Um, I think they're gorgeous to look at. And so you shell those out and they're larger than a pinto bean. Actually, they're quite big. They're like this size. They're a little bit bigger than your thumbnail. Actually, a good size bean. And so we shell those out and some of them I dry um, to use as a dried bean, but then I also can them. And there's a couple of reasons that I like to can shelled beans. And that's because um, we have our own well. And when the power goes out here, which it does more frequently during the winter months, but it does sometimes in the summer and all the seasons. But in the winter months, it goes out. Um, the longest we went for without power was almost two weeks, and that's been a few years back. So when our power goes out, I don't have water to, um, because my well is ran off of power, even though it's our own water source. And so I like canned beans because I don't have to um, well, one, I don't have to pre-plan ahead because I don't know about you guys, but a lot of times I don't always think about having my dinner um, planned out the night before, which if you have dried beans, you need to soak them overnight at least. And so for when I'm in the procrastination time or I just didn't plan ahead, <laughs> um, I like to have canned beans because I don't have to soak them beforehand. And then two, I don't have to have water um, to soak them and then to drain them and then recook again. So um, when the power goes out, the, our beans are something that I, I cook with a lot because um, I can just cook it on top of our wood stove um, and not have to have extra water added in. So that's two of the reasons that I really do like to can up some of my shelled beans beforehand. Um, and so I have that recipe and you can grab that in the resource notes. I have a full on tutorial on how to can shelled beans. So when you have fresh shelled beans, it's um, different than when you're canning dried beans. Um, I do a raw pack method. So you just put the shelled beans into the jar and then you um, pour it with hot water over top of it. And then you can them just like that. You don't have to pre-cook them because they aren't dehydrated already. Um, they're soft. And so I really like to do that method. And then, of course, we do shell some out and save them and dry them as a dried bean as well. Um, in fact, we just last night finished shelling them all out. Um, I had about a three gallons of um, the beans to shell out. And so we had picked them a, a couple weeks ago when they were ready and left them in the pot and then just shelled them out um, and got those. So that is definitely one of my fall recipes um, we do is I can the shelled beans. So you can grab that recipe and tutorial. Um, and it does require a pressure canner um, because it is a low acidic food. So you want to make sure that um, you do that. And then for canning, if you're new to canning and putting up food, um, I just want to remind everybody that I have an awesome free resource for you guys. It's the ultimate home food preservation guide and it has over 80 different resources, tutorials, um, equipment recommendations for putting up um, all of your food at home and preserving it. So to grab that, just go to melissaknorris.com and click on the freebies button and then you can sign up to get your free copy of that. So our second one, um, as you can guess, is a fall canning recipe for us is salsa. So I was so excited this year because I told you about my finally I have an awesome tomato crop. Well, we also grew um, 
peppers, and then we always do garlic. In fact, this is the time of year to plant garlic, you guys. So if you want to grow garlic, October before your first hard frost is when you put your garlic in the ground, um, and then you harvest it nine months later. So you can go and get seed garlic um, at any like farmer supply store. Um, and what you do is you just separate the cloves out. And so each individual clove, um, so you have your whole bulb, and then each individual individual clove you plant in the garden and so you put about oh about two inches down into the soil and you want the fatter end of the clove pointing down and then the skinnier end pointing up um, and then those will start to sprout and then after your first hard frost the little part that sprout will kind of die off and but that's okay don't worry about it um, you can cover them up with a little bit of straw and then in the spring they will be growing again and then you'll harvest those in july i kind of prefer to do this um soft net garlic because then I can braid it um, and have it hanging in the kitchen. So we usually do some soft neck, uh, mostly soft neck, a little bit of hard neck sometimes. Um, hard neck you can't braid is the difference there. So anyways, um, if you want to have your own garlic growing for your salsa next year, make sure that you get that in now. And I do have a tutorial which I will link to on how to plant your own garlic um, for those of you who want to do that. So for the salsa, we had our own onions, our own peppers. Um, the only thing that was from the store in the recipes that I did was um, vinegar. And so when you're canning salsa, salsa is actually, even though it has quite a bit of vegetables in it, is one of the things that is safe to water bath can as long as you're following a recipe, um, a tried and true tested recipe that uses um, enough acid. So the salsa recipe that I used, I will actually link to. It's one of my um, co-hosts over at Survival Mom Radio Network, and that's from Diane, the canning diva. And so I, what I liked about her recipe um, better than some that I had seen before is her recipe was just all fresh ingredients other than the um, addition of the vinegar for our acid and she used um, some fresh lime juice is another form of acid in hers which I really liked um, I love lime lime's like my new favorite citrus <laughs> right now and so I loved that her recipe incorporated that into the salsa but what I also liked is it didn't require a lot of the recipes I see um, call for like a can of tomato paste or a tomato sauce and while there's nothing wrong with that I wanted it to be from all things that I had fresh going in the garden I didn't want to have to use any of my home canned tomato sauce to make my salsa so um, that was the recipe that I did and so then you can water bath that one and it's safe because it has the addition of salsa um, so when you are following um, recipes like that it's important to remember if it says that you don't change out the ratios um, that's listed so if it says you know five cups of tomatoes and two cups of peppers and a cup of onion and then um, however much vinegar it calls for that you don't decide, oh, I'm going to do, you know, four cups of onions instead because that um, acid ratio is what keeps it safe. And if you alter that, you can alter the kind of herbs. So if it says for green peppers and you want to use red peppers or if it says jalapeno and you want to use habanero, however hot you like your salsa, um, you can do that. But you must keep the ratios the same for it to be safe. So I just wanted to um, remind you of that. And so now fresh salsa is fabulous and we do love our fresh salsa, but I like to put up food for the winter and so we do some fresh salsa for us to eat now and then I also can it up and so now my husband now some of you guys might be my husband my husband likes his salsa hot 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 and I do not <laughs> and so we usually have um, this is funny we do this actually on our pickled asparagus as well we have his and hers um, recipes at my house so his always has extra heat added and mine is as mild as it comes 
<laughs> and so if you look in the pantry on the top of our jars, it's pretty funny. I have an M for Melissa's and I have a C for Clay. That's my husband's name. And then, then I know that his is the hot version and mine is the mild. So we, we'd, um, but that's the beauty of putting up and canning your own food at home is you can make it to your taste preferences. So that's one of the reasons that I love to put up stuff at home. So that's what we do with the salsa. We have his and hers. Um, and then the next fall canning thing that we've been doing a lot of is tomato sauce. One of the things this year I was so excited about with our tomato sauce is one that I have enough had enough tomatoes to make tomato sauce. Um, but I had made up some tomato sauce and I had never actually done tomato sauce at home because I had never had enough tomatoes before to do sauce because it takes quite a bit of tomatoes to make your sauce um, and we grew paste tomatoes um, specifically to make the sauce because they have less water they're thicker and f- meatier so to speak with a tomato and so you don't have to let it reduce as long um, as you do other kinds of tomatoes and so we did the um, a tomato paste so Roma's a lot of people are familiar with Roma tomatoes those are a paste tomato and um, we actually did the San Oh, goodness, I just forgot it, but I will put it in the show notes for you. <laughs> um, what kind we did is like San Mar- Marzungo. I'm totally saying it wrong because I can't, I can see it on the package, but I can't remember it. Um, anyways, we did that uh, heirloom paste tomato. And so I did up a whole bunch of tomato sauce. In fact, last week I did um, 12 jars of tomato sauce in one day. And so I had two pots going to make my tomato sauce. And then um, I decided, of course, um, I actually had one jar that didn't seal. I'm not sure if it had a crack that I wasn't aware of or what went on, but I did have a jar of tomato sauce that didn't seal. So I needed to use it right away um, because it wasn't shelf stable. So I stuck it in the fridge and then I decided I was going to make, of course, spaghetti. And so that was really um, a cool night because we had grown quite a bit of spaghetti squash in the garden to use in place of pasta. And so I baked one of those and then I used, um, we raised our own grass-fed beef too. So I had hamburger and we did that. And then my husband and the kids had actually went out um, and they had forged some of the chanterelle mushrooms are in season right now here. So those are an edible mushroom. Um, And so they had picked those and those are um, a great mushroom. Actually, they have a lot of flavor and they're really expensive in the store. Holy cannoli. We were... um, at the grocery store and they wanted like ten ninety nine a pound. So um, I was really excited that we were able to find those at um, ourselves and to pick those. And so we did the chanterelle mushrooms. So it was really cool because our whole meal was from stuff that we had grown or foraged ourselves. Um, and so I used the homemade tomato sauce. And when I make uh, made the tomato sauce, I didn't add anything into it. Because um, sometimes, you know, I'm going to want to use it as spaghetti sauce and I'm going to want it more savory and with herbs. Um, And then other times I might want to use it like in my cabbage rolls. And so then um, I don't want necessarily all the herbs in it. I might want to use it as pizza sauce. Um, And I use a jar of tomato sauce when I make chili as well. So, um, you know, I want different flavors for different things. So I decided um, a couple of the jars I did do with basil added to them. And then the other ones I just left plain so that I could add the flavors as I decided to make the recipe. So I made the spaghetti and we used the home um, jar of homemade tomato sauce. And my husband is so funny because whenever I try a new recipe or do something new, he's always skeptical until he tastes it. (laughs) Oh, that's just the way he is. And so it was great because um, him and my son both, my son is my little picky eater, but he loves spaghetti. And so they both declared it the best spaghetti sauce ever. Um, so 
and it does take some work making the tomato sauce. It's a um, it's a longer process because you have to let it reduce down and thicken up. So it just takes longer um, to make than a lot of other recipes. But I was thrilled, and I have to tell you, I agree. The flavor compared to store um, is just amazing, and that's kind of almost the case with everything homemade. It just tastes better, especially when it's homegrown, homemade. It has more flavor. And so to do tomato sauce, um, you can water bath can it or pressure can it. And I have a full on picture tutorial for you guys. Um, and that will be in the show notes. So at mostcanorris.com, click on the podcast episode, six fall canning recipes, and then that will be up there for you. So you can pressure can that or water bath can it safely. And then the next recipe that we have is actually, and this is my husband's darling. I swear the man could eat a jar a day. But he loves pickled garlic. And so we grow usually about 75 bulbs of garlic um, is what we generally put in here. And so we did pickled garlic and that's a safely water bath canned recipe. And he, we actually, um, I got the recipe from my neighbor. She had um, done up a whole bunch and brought it over to us. And my husband was like, oh my goodness, this is so good. And she, my neighbor is a longtime canner and phenomenal cook. And so I was really happy that she shared the recipe with us. And um, actually it was really funny. Um, I usually do most of the canning, but my husband loves the pickled garlic so much. I had to work um, last Saturday. And so he canned all by himself. I was so proud of him. He canned um, the pickled garlic himself. He did 12 jars of pickled garlic while I was at work. So that was great. And he did some variations. Some he added some pepper to for it to be hot, of course, because he's the guy that likes everything really hot. And then other ones, um, he just added some mustard seed to and just kind of played around um, with some flavors with a few different spices there. Some he just did um, fresh ground black pepper in. Um, And so he was just uh, deciding which he liked best. And so pickled garlic is something that is definitely a fall canning recipe um, and that he really enjoys. And then I don't know about you guys, but apples are crazy right now. Um, All of our apples are coming on. In fact, I got 75 pounds of apples um, almost two weeks ago. And so I've been making up applesauce like crazy. And then, um, of course, apple pie filling, um, the dehydrate apples, just eating them plain. In fact, I did a post for you guys, and I will link to that too, and it's um, nine ways to preserve apples at home. There's so many different things that you can do with apples from making your own vinegar, apple cider, apple butter. Um, there's just lots that you can do dehydrating them. So um, I will share the link to that in the show notes. Um, so my fifth one is apple pie filling. So I love apple pie and apple pie is something um, that we serve at Thanksgiving for sure and Christmas. And so I don't know if you guys have noticed, but by the time the holidays roll around, apple prices shoot up. And so I don't like paying, you know, sometimes for organic apples, you know, two, three something a pound, that pie gets expensive. And so I can up my apple pie filling and then because another thing is at the holidays it is crazy busy at least here and so I um, make up my pie dough ahead of time and I freeze it and then I have my apple pie filling already canned so when I know I need to bake pies I just take the dough out of the freezer you can let it thaw in the fridge overnight or just on the counter for a couple hours and then it's chilled it's not frozen anymore but it's chilled and then I can just roll it out and I just open a jar of the apple pie filling and I can have a ho- totally homemade from scratch apple pie bacon in the oven in like I don't know two minutes as long as it takes you to roll out the dough so I love to do up apple pie filling ahead of time for that and then I also do, and I'll um, link to the recipe in here, is I do um, a French apple dump cake. And so I just take a jar of the apple pie filling and put it in a 9 by 13 pan. Um, and I make up a homemade um, 
cake mix recipe and then there's a couple other ingredients and you just dump it literally all on top of each other. You don't even stir it and you bake it and it is fabulous and it goes together super quick. So I just love to have apple pie filling on hand for that. But I have to tell you, I have been doing so much canning and I probably have about another 30 pounds of tomatoes that are going to be ripe. Um, actually today I'm going to have to go out and, and pick and process those that um, I'm going to freeze some of my apple pie filling this year as well, just because I don't think that I'm going to have time to get to it and I don't want any of the apples to go bad. Um, apples are actually a great storage crop. They will store if it's nice and cool. Um, but I am out of fridge space and we don't have a root cellar or a garage and it's so hot out right now. Um, today's supposed to be up in the high seventies that my apples aren't being kept cool. And so I don't want them to start to turn or go bad. And so with the ones that I have left, um, I am going to um, just do up some apple, just like your fresh apple pie recipe. And then I'm just going to put them in quart-sized mason jars and freeze them that way. And then I can just pull out um, when I need it, dump it in frozen. You could do it in storage, um, freezer storage bags as well. And then you just um, dump it in your pie shell frozen and bake it up. So I'm going to be doing that um, with some of mine. And so if you don't have time to can, because sometimes... When you have a lot of your harvest all coming on at once, it can be really hard um, to fit, to find time to get it all in. And I know I, that happens with me a lot. So if I can freeze things, I do like it to be canned because it's shelf stable if the power does go out. Um, and, you know, for whatever reason, I don't want to lose my food in the freezer. But um, this year, I'm just going to have to freeze some of my apple pie filling <laughs> to fit it all in. And then the sixth recipe that I have, of course, is applesauce. I love applesauce. My kids love applesauce. And I like to make up applesauce because um, I can then take the applesauce if I want to and put it in the dehydrator trays and make apple um, fruit leather from it. Um, and then, of course, applesauce is just great to eat. I love to use it as toppings. Um, I put applesauce on top of my pancakes, on top of biscuits, Um I mean, you, you know, I'll put applesauce on a lot of things. I'll kind of use it in place of syrup. And then I like to bake with my applesauce. So um, if you have a recipe and it calls for, um, you know, your fat source, so oil or melted butter, a lot of times I will, if not all of it, at least half of it, I will sub out with applesauce instead. And so it just adds um, a really great moisture content to it. And then it also adds a little bit of sweetness. So then I can cut back on the sugar in the recipe as well, which I'm always a fan of. And so I'm going to give you a tip. Um, when I do applesauce, I don't cut my apples and I don't peel my apples. So what I do is I put the apples in whole into my big stock pot and I just add about, hmm, about an inch of water. And then I let that come up to heat and I put the lid on and it steams them. And I let it go usually about 15 to 20 minutes um, and just kind of check it because it can scorch until the apples are just steamed. And so I steam them whole until they're just falling apart. And then I put them through the sieve. And so then the um, the skin and all of the seeds are caught in the sieve and they're not going into my applesauce. Um, and then, of course, then I just put it back on. And usually I add a little bit of cinnamon. Um, and depending upon the type of apples and how sweet they are, I just do a taste test. And if I have to add any sugar, um, if it's just really tart, then sometimes I'll add up to a quarter cup of sugar, um, which is usually to about... 10 to 12 cups of applesauce. So that's really a scant amount of sugar overall. Um, but sometimes, like especially if it's a good, um, if it's Gravenstein apples, Gravenstein are my favorite apples for making applesauce and apple pie. Um, my parents have a huge old Gravenstein apple tree up at their house. 
but this is kind of on off year for the apples. Um, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but apples um, on apple trees, they tend to have a really ripe year one or a, a full crop one year. And then the next year, it's not very much that kind of go um, on and off years for their crops. And so this is an off year. And so they didn't have very many gravenstein. So I didn't get enough to do applesauce from them. Um, I actually had to purchase some organic apples, but that was fine. And so if it's the Gravensteins, then I usually don't add anything just by themselves. I think the flavor is phenomenal and doesn't even, doesn't need any added spices or sugar. But occasionally I'll have to add a little bit of sugar and I'm okay with adding a quarter cup to about 12 cups. Um, but you know, if you're absolutely no sugar, then you don't have to add it. And again, that's the beauty of canning things at home and doing things at home is you control what goes in to the product, the ingredients that are in it and the taste of it, the final outcome. So I really do um, like that. And then I actually um, had one jar of applesauce. You know, my jars are about anywhere. You know, I've gotten some of them at garage sales and from my husband's grandma. So my jars can range anywhere from 30 years old to, you know, probably about 10 by now. So I think just some of them have gotten hairline cracks in them that I just didn't see. Because um, this is the first year I've actually had any seals not seal. That I've had some seals fail. So I did have a jar of applesauce that didn't seal. And so, of course, that went right into the fridge Um and then the rest went onto the shelf. And so I made up, um, cause I still have zucchinis cause it's so warm. It's, I've never had my zucchini plants produce zucchini this late into the year, but it's been awesome. So I made up my double chocolate, um, fudge zucchini bread and I used the applesauce and that, um, with some fresh zucchini. And so that was a great way to use up the applesauce and the baking. And of course the kids loved that treat. Um, because, you know, chocolate for breakfast, it had zucchinis in it and applesauce, right? So I got my vegetable serving and my fruit serving. At least that's the way I rationalize eating that one for breakfast. <laughs> and so um, those are my six fall canning recipes and tips. And so I would love to hear um, from you what your favorite fall canning recipes are or if you have any questions. And so um, this is our featured reader question of the week. And so I got this and it was, um, I got an email from a reader and she asked me, um, she's trying to use spelt flour, which I love spelt flour. Spelt is a primitive wheat. It was actually grown and mentioned in the Bible. It's from biblical times. And so it has not been hybridized. And so spelt, um, it does have gluten in it. It is not a gluten-free grain, um, but it has a lower gluten content um, than any of the hybridized regular wheat products. And it also has a higher protein um, in it. And so I really like spelt um, because of those two factors and because it is primitive. It's not been hybridized. So we use a lot, um, it's, you know, considered an ancient grain. So we use a lot of um, spelt at our house. Spelt is great for baking. Um, it's a it's a lighter flour. Um, you can also do bread with it. But the one thing about spelt is spelt likes to spread out instead of up. And so that was her question. She said, my, my stuff doesn't seem to be rising well with spelt. So the trick with spelt too is you actually need to add a little bit more spelt flour per cup for regular recipes. So um, if your recipe usually calls, you know, for a cup of regular flour, if you're using spelt flour, I use... Um, one cup of spelt flour and between an additional two to four tablespoons per cup. So with spelt, you really need to bake by feel and look of the flour. Um, and the, I mean, excuse me, of the recipe when the ingredients are all incorporated together. And then with spelt, you don't want to over knead spelt um, because that can make it tough. So with spelt, I knead it for about four minutes and then I let it rest for about 10 to 15 minutes. Of course, this is with um, bread recipes, not with like cookies or cakes. Um, and then 
I come back after that 10 to 15 minutes and knead it again for another four minutes. And then that's, that's it. So don't try to knead it all at once. Um, and then another thing that I do with the spelt is if it doesn't want to seem to be rising is I will preheat my oven to about 425 degrees and put the bread in and then that high heat, um, I leave it on that for about four to five minutes and then turn it back down to the regular baking temperature, which I think is about 375 for my, um, my bread recipe which I can link to that too, for you guys too. And so that extra little bump of high heat makes it kind of rise um, upwards instead of out. And then you just turn it down so that it doesn't burn or cook too hot. So those are my tips for baking with um, spelt flour. So um, I hope you tune in next time. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to Pioneering Today. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes and make sure to head over to melissaknorris.com to subscribe for free modern homesteading updates to help you live the simple life.